Welcome to Down There Aware, a podcast bringing attention to gynecologic cancers in women's healthcare. Disclaimer We cover many topics which some may find uncomfortable, and while we feel it is an important conversation to have, we understand it may not be for everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Down There Aware. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary, Alex's mama. And today we have a special guest with us, Nisha Johnson. She's a performer, teacher, and music advocate based in Orlando, Florida. Her journey with infertility began in 2014 when she was unable to conceive again after a miscarriage. She went on to go through three rounds of IVF, however, was unsuccessful in carrying a baby to term. She's currently 36 weeks pregnant after a truly miraculous conception. This podcast will be her first time talking about her infertility struggles. Thank you so much for joining us today, Nisha. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. So if you want to tell us a little bit, you know, we heard in your bio a little bit about your story, but if you want to expand on that, um, we'll get right into it. Okay, sure. Um, So initially I got uh, pregnant once naturally and um, I had a first trimester miscarriage with that one. Um, I didn't think too much of it at the time because I knew that miscarriages were fairly common. And so we kept trying. And I think about six to nine months later, we realized we we haven't been successful. I was uh, 29 years old and and we Mm -hmm. thought we should go get checked out. So he got checked out first and it ended up that I needed to get checked out. And Mm. so I found that, um, my, basically I had a low ovarian reserve and the quality eggs that I was making were very poor quality eggs. Mm. And so I was not a candidate for IUI. I was supposed to go straight to IVF. And so we kind of jumped right into that. And my first cycle, uh, I, just didn't conceive at all. So we waited about six months after that. And we did a second cycle, which was a frozen embryo cycle. So I didn't have to actually go through the harvesting and all that that they did Mm -hmm. in the first cycle. But um, they just implanted two embryos that they had from the first cycle. So it wasn't quite as difficult for the second one, but Mm -hmm. my second cycle ended in an ectopic pregnancy. So Mm. that's when the, um, the egg implants or the embryo implants in the fallopian tube. And so I went to a doctor's appointment one morning when I was about seven weeks and they couldn't find the baby, even though I think my blood, uh, when they took my blood, uh, work, everything was rising normally. So we didn't mm-hmm. have an indication when we started doing the blood work that not that anything was wrong. But when they couldn't find the, the baby in the uterus, then they found the baby in the fallopian tube. So I was rushed in for emergency surgery. Mm-hmm. And um, they were able to save my fallopian tube. But they said that it likely wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, they wanted to keep it. But we didn't really have any hope that that was going to work. And plus I didn't really think I would be able to conceive naturally anyway. At that point, they basically had said you have about a 5% chance that you'd ever Mm. be able to conceive naturally. So, um, you know, 29, 30 years old, I was kind of dealing with that. 
And then I did a third cycle after I recovered from that surgery, which was abdominal surgery. So it took a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't myself for quite a while. And, uh, after that I did one more cycle, which I had to do a fresh cycle as opposed to a frozen cycle. And that one ended in a miscarriage as well. Mm-hmm. So after that was over, I kind of was done with it. Um, IVF is IVF was something that was very difficult for me in particular because I felt like I needed to stay upbeat and I needed to be positive and mm-hmm. I needed to and so it kind of put me in a position where I wasn't really dealing with the grief that I was feeling as I was going through it. Yeah. So Oh man. So with the miscarriages, um, both the, your naturally conceived, um, pregnancy and then also your IVF pregnancies, were there any warning signs that anything wasn't right or what did it just, you know, in a regular checkup, they caught the ectopic pregnancy and um, found it that way? Um, so with the ectopic pregnancy, a lot of people have like signs and symptoms, but I had none. Everything felt, yeah, everything felt pretty normal. Um, but I, I literally didn't know until I went in that morning that there was anything wrong. So with the miscarriages, with both of them, I kind of felt some cramping, you know, earlier in the day. And then eventually uh, there was bleeding that happened. So mm-hmm. those, I kind of had an idea that things were not going well, but the ectopic was completely a whole new ball game. And I don't even think I even really knew what it was before it happened yeah. to me. Mm. Wow. That's crazy. And throughout all those um, different experiences, because they were all connected, but they were all different. um, How did you find yourself reacting emotionally? So um, like I was saying, I think I just really put on a brave face and I was dealing with a lot of grief internally that I was not sharing with anybody else Mm -hmm. because I sort of felt like, oh, if I give in to feeling these things, I'm not going to be able to continue and we have to be able to continue to be able to conceive. So I just have to push this, push this down and and deal with Mm -hmm. it later. Wow. Then did you feel that you were supported emotionally by the medical professionals So I don't feel like we actually went into very much detail regarding um, one's emotional well-being during the IVF process. I remember very early on, they gave us some paperwork that said, oh, some couples might experience some turmoil or or there was some statistic that relationships have a, a harder time surviving infertility if you don't conceive through IVF or if you don't conceive, period. Um, but I don't think that I took it very seriously. Mm-hmm. I think I should have taken it a lot more seriously than I did to begin with, because I definitely let my emotional health suffer. Mm. Well, yeah. and and maybe had you gotten more than some paperwork about it, maybe if there had been some uh, um, therapy that was recommended or even just to sit down face to face with a medical professional, it might have helped you be more self-aware and take care of yourself better. We're kind of finding that in our um, delving into this, that a lot of times the emotional well-being of the woman, it really suffers. And that seems to be the case with you as well. Yeah, I I agree. I think that it almost should be something that is required as a part of the IVF mm-hmm. process. If you're going through IUI or IVF or any sort of infertility uh, procedure that you need to be 
concurrently going through counseling. Yeah. Um, or at least at minimum, a support group of some kind yeah. where there are people who have gone through it, who can, you know, really be empathetic to what you're experiencing. But yeah, it just seems like that piece is missing from, you know, they'll give you all the medical advice and they'll point you in this direction and send you to this specialist. But then emotionally, which we know pregnancy and infertility and all of these treatments has such a huge impact on our emotional health that surely that there's some kind of support there as well. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. I feel, I feel the exact same way. It's just, um, I think it would have been a completely different process for me had I been more focused on my emotional well-being from the very beginning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what about your physical recovery? How did that go after each of your um, miscarriages and the ectopic pregnancy? So the miscarriages, I didn't really have too much trouble, um, getting back to normal after mm -hmm. those. Uh, but my ectopic pregnancy, since that was an abdominal surgery, that took me quite a while to recover from. I mean, I had a completely bruised abdomen from the surgery and it was actually laparoscopic. So the incisions were fairly small in general, mm -hmm. but, um, but anytime you have any sort of major surgery like that, it, it's going to be recovered. It's going to take a while to recover. Um, honestly, it was probably the worst pain I've ever been through in my entire life. The, mm. I mean, the IVF frozen or the, the fresh cycles that I did where they retrieved the eggs, that was not that big of a deal. I think maybe it took a day or two to recover from those surgeries. It was not uh, too painful, but that, that ectopic, I mean, and, and mm -hmm. I was on serious dosages of medications like opioids. So, mm -hmm. um, was not, wow. yeah. I think laparoscopy is kind of deceptive because the mm -hmm. incisions are so small and, um, you kind of think, oh, this isn't going to be a big deal at all. But, um, you know, you have to remember they're doing all kinds of slicing around inside and all of that has to heal. And those are not tiny little incisions. And I think we forget, I know for me, I, you know, had a C-section when it was kind of a hip to hip incision. And then later I had a vaginal hysterectomy, which, you know, no external um, incisions and they were both pretty bad, <laughs> but um, you know, I thought the vaginal one was going to be a breeze because I didn't have any big incision. Yeah. So, yeah. And, I mean, and you have to keep in mind that, you know, I still had a damaged fallopian tube. Right. I still, um, I actually had a lot of excessive bleeding. They almost had mm. to give me a transfusion. Yeah. So all of that takes time to recover from, even if it yeah. seems like, you know, oh, we made small, three small incisions. Okay, great. But it still yeah. hurts a lot. <laughs> it still hurts quite a bit. So, yeah. Absolutely. There's so much that goes into it. So, um, with your losses, have you chosen to acknowledge them in a remembrance or a ritual or with any traditions that you have put together? So the miscarriages that I had were fairly early on, like, mm -hmm. you know, six, seven weeks. And so for those ones, um, I don't know that I felt like I was as attached to those pregnancies, but the ectopic, I think, especially because of the surgery and everything I went mm -hmm. through, um, that one was particularly hard. And the, my surgery fell on my dad's birthday. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, we had plans to do something yeah. special for his birthday that day. 
and it kind of got derailed with me having to have a, you know, a, a surgery. Yeah. So that one, um, I mean, I think there, there's usually a, you know, I don't remember the specific day of the year, but there's usually a day where we remember, you know, losses. And mm-hmm. usually on, on that day, I, I will post something on social media or something like that to just remember the, the what I've been through with the losses that I've been through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And were it's all very any- personal, you know, what you, um, you know, how you need to grieve and, and go through it. And it's, you know, really nice to acknowledge it on that day where all losses are remembered and just to, to honor it for yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not something that I necessarily have talked about publicly. I've shared with my friends Mm -hmm. that I've been through it. You know, being a mom was always something that I had envisioned for my life. And it it always had seemed like it would be a priority. Like I want to be a mom before I want to be anything else. And so that was a part of the grief that I was feeling as I was going through IVF is that when I got kind of to the end or the last cycle that I did, we decided we're not doing any more cycles of IVF then I'm having to reconcile that, well, I'm not, I'm not going to be a mom. And if I am, then it's not going to be in the way that I had envisioned for myself. Mm. Were there any reactions of others to your losses that were especially helpful to you? Um, so I, I don't know specifically, but I had a few friends that really went out of their way to, actually make me feel more like myself. And so instead of actually addressing the issues or, you know, asking me how I am, but it was more like, let's just, let's just talk about you Mm. instead of placing uh, so much weight on what I had been through. Mm -hmm. um, Actually found that the more that I was treated normally, the better I dealt with everything. And so that was helpful for me in my recovery emotionally and physically is just, I wanted to feel like a normal person again. I kind of felt like I was a, a person that was just like, Oh, okay. I'm a, uh, I I'm, I'm dealing with all these needles and syringes and surgeries. And I've really lost sense of who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to think about that stuff anymore. I just wanted to get back to, who I am as a person. So the less focus there was on that, the better I felt. And when I wanted to talk about it, it's easier to bring it up and discuss it. But for me, I just kind of wanted to put it behind me. I remember I went to uh, one of my cousin's weddings shortly after I'd had my ectopic pregnancy, like maybe a week. I mean, I was... Oh, wow. Maybe two weeks. I don't know. It was it was shortly after I was so bruised. I was not in good shape. And I, uh, I think I literally told my family members, I I don't want to hear an I'm sorry. I don't want to discuss it with anybody. Like, I just want everyone to pretend like this didn't happen. Because for me, it was like, the more I was talking about it, the more upset I was getting about it. And I was just trying to slow down and heal and deal with things in my own time. Mm-hmm. And I think so. that's so important for people to be able to sense how the person is feeling and what they need, as opposed to maybe what you need. Right. Um, you know, it, it's important to look at you. And if you want to talk about it, to make yourself available for your friend. But if you're if you don't want to talk about it, then just be there and um and not talk about it. And everybody's different. I think we're finding right. that out more and more in how they react and respond to loss. And 
um, we as their support group and friends and family need to be sensitive to that. And I don't think there's a wrong way for people to deal with their grief, but I don't. I also don't think it's wrong for us to say, hey, I don't want sympathy. I don't want mm-hmm. to discuss this. And for people to realize that sometimes I'm sorry doesn't make a person feel better. While right. it might make you feel better or it might seem like it's the right thing to say or the most diplomatic thing to say, it off, you know, it might not make you them feel better. And so you have to ask, what would make you feel better? Mm-hmm. That might be a better, that might be a better question. You know, is there, is there anything I can do to help? Right. Yeah. And um, really letting the person going through the experience lead you into what they need instead of people just assuming of what you are needing. Um, was there anything that was not helpful or um, harmful that people said in your recovery process? Um, uh, I think this is a normal thing after a loss. A lot of people say like, oh, it'll happen in the in God's timing or it'll happen when it's meant to happen or things like that. And that's just not reality. For It doesn't happen for everybody. Some people are going to have to reevaluate their dream of how they're going to be parents. You might have to adopt, you might have to do a donor egg, you might have to do different things. And so to say, oh, well, you're just stressed out, it'll happen when you're ready. Like that is not helpful to somebody who's going through infertility, because we know that it may not, Mm -hmm. it's not that cut and dry. And, and for me, it has, um, which I'm grateful for, but um, it, I had no desire. I mean, I had no um, expectation that it would. Doctors said it wouldn't, so mm. I assume <laughs> I assume that that would be the case. So, yeah, um, I, I think that is important to realize. And again, um, to ha- help people who are going through infertility, I think it is important to try to get them to see the worth in, in themselves because I think there is a portion of like when you are feeling so much pressure to carry a child and to be successful that you feel very unworthy when the process mm-hmm. is over and you have not been successful. And so for me, at least, I really had to do some deep soul searching to feel like I was a worthy person again. Mm. And even if the pressure is just you putting it on yourself, I think um, that's an important point. And something important to say to other people who may go through the same type of thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I went to counseling after I was done with, uh, mm-hmm. with my IVF and, uh, I wish I had done it so much sooner because it took so much more work to get back to feeling emotionally and mentally healthy again than I think it would have had I started sooner. Mm. Yeah. So if if someone was going through what you had gone through, they're going through IVF, they're going through infertility, what would you say to them? What advice would you give them based on your experience? Um, so for, for one thing, I would say to just be open to other ways of being a parent. So I think I was very closed off to adoption. I was very closed off to donor eggs. Um, so I would ask them to be 
open to different options. I would also encourage them to focus on their emotional mental health, make sure they're in therapy or in some sort of support group so that they're very, very aware of how they're processing their grief. Because a lot of times it just sneaks up on you and you didn't even realize you were feeling the way that you are until you were so overwrought with mm-hmm. grief. Um, and it's really important not to blame yourself for for going through it. We kind of expect that as women, like this is what we're here for. We're supposed to be able to bear children. This is our purpose, but we have bigger purposes than just bearing children. That is not the basis of our existence. And so, you know, bettering oneself, get yourself into activities that you want to be in. If you, you know, I wanted to go to grad school for a long time and I was putting that off because I was going through so many things. And I wish I hadn't put things off because I mm-hmm. had such a dream of being a mom. I feel like I put all my eggs in that basket and then I left behind a lot of things that could have made me feel more worthy as a person. Mm-hmm. That That is some really great advice to our listeners to, you know, look at self-care, to look into therapy early. I really think that's valuable for those listening. Yeah. And it, you know, it all goes together, right? Yeah. Like you can't really walk through that journey without approaching your mental health and checking in and seeing how you are emotionally. Um, but I really love, you know, saying to not push things off, but to do them and, you know, not wait for things. Cause I, I think just overall in life, that's just so important. Yeah, exactly. I, like I said before, it, it's one of those things that, um, I think you can get very tunnel vision when it comes to IVF or to these treatments. And you're so focused on these treatments that everything else falls away. Or mm-hmm. you feel like maybe those things will be there when it's over. And so right. you don't need to focus on it. But a lot of those things are stabilizing factors in your life that make you feel normal. And once you've taken out those activities that made you feel good, all you have is infertility. And that's, <laughs> that's not a good feeling. And I think that's uh, a lot of what I did. You know, I really ostracized myself from people who cared about me. And I didn't do some of the things that I wanted to do because I just needed to stay focused and make sure I didn't have a mental breakdown while I was going through it, which could have been salvaged. I wouldn't have had the, the mental breakdown had I just been taking care of myself and doing all those things along the way anyway. Or yeah. just, you know, I wasn't ready to be public about it, but I think the more you, you're public about it and the more you have the support from outside external sources, the healthier you're going to be because you right. have people to tell you that it's going to be okay. We're here to support you. We'll hear you out. Um, you know, or, or just, we'll help you just be a person. Like this is not, uh, who you are as a person. So. Yeah, for sure. So has time played into your recovery at all? And if so, how has that, um, affected how you've recovered from your infertility struggles? Time has definitely played a big factor. Like, like I said, I, finished my infertility and I immediately, pretty much immediately enrolled in grad school. That was something I'd been putting off. And when I was like, okay, so I don't have this dream, but I (laughs) wanted to do this like five years ago, I should have already been done with it. 
let me just go ahead and, and do that. And there were a number of other activities. Like I think I wanted to learn how to sew. So I took a sewing class and I wanted to do some other things. And, and I just started going down my list of things that I had wanted to do, but not made an effort to mm-hmm. incorporate into my life. And I just started checking off all the boxes. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. And I stopped waiting. And so um, that really helped me recover. And I, I eventually came to a place where I was like, I'm okay. I'm like, I'm, I'm okay if I'm not a mom. Or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I will be a mom, but I'll adopt. And I'm okay with that too. Um, and I spent a lot of time working on my physical health. And I found that that really helped my mental health. So I started working out and I was, they, they had told me they didn't really want me to do anything major when I was going through IVF in terms of working out. So it wasn't really, I gained a lot of weight and I wasn't really mm-hmm. feeling myself physically. So I spent a lot of time uh, really building my strength and stamina through working out and physical activity. And I found that the more I was doing that, the more emotionally healthy I was feeling. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing that helped my overall uh, recovery from the IVF and just from infertility in general. And I started to just come to terms with what I had been through and accept it and not feel so defined by it. Mm. Well, yeah, and that's so- really important to not feel defined by your infertility that, you, you know, you're so much more than that one part of you. Right. And right. so many of the stories we've heard haven't had really great endings and how wonderful that here you are <laughs> just a few weeks away from, you know, welcoming a beautiful new soul into the world. That's a pretty cool thing. It is definitely a miracle. And uh, one of the most miraculous things about this is that this baby was actually conceived with that fallopian tube that was damaged in my ectopic surgery. Wow. (laughs) So from that tube that I thought didn't even work. So I was able to conceive naturally and through that tube. So, um, I, you know, I think it's just one of those things where I, it's, divine intervention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what else can I say? So, wow. um, and that oh, gives yeah. hope to other people mm-hmm. who have dealt with similar things. So, yeah. And, and that is the moral of the story is you never know, prepare yourself for mm-hmm. every possibility. If it's your dream to be a mom, you'll find a way it could be biologically. It could be through adoption it could be through donor egg. It could be through any number of things. But mm-hmm. if that's your dream and that is your goal, you can always find a way to attain that goal. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, I think that's so important to remember. And especially someone who has, you know, walked the journey and come, you know, to a conclusion of however I can be a mom, I'm going to be good at it. And that's what I'm going to, you know, really embrace. And then, like you said, miraculously conceiving this child and um, are so ready for, uh, for them to come into the world. That's just so, so exciting. Yes. Truly a blessing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Nisha, thank you so much for sharing your story. There's just, you know, like mom said, every infertility journey is different and it's so important for people um, to share their stories and to have a platform. And so we just really commend uh, your courage um, and your willingness to come on and share your story um, because it's an important one to tell for sure. 
Thank you. Yeah. 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 I'm uh, so grateful to you both for letting me tell the story. Like, like I've said before, I've never spoken about it publicly before today. And um, I, I hope that we can help spread the word and help heal some souls that are going through uh, the same difficulties in their own lives. So Absolutely. absolutely. And I'm sure it will. And I just appreciate so much your willingness to share. It does yes. help other people. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. for sure. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. As always, you can find more information about this episode and other episodes on our website at www.downthereaware.com. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Down There Aware, Instagram, at Down There Aware, Twitter, at Down There Aware, and also now on Pinterest, Down There Aware. Thanks for listening. 